0: You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church, to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our
1: music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, come one, come all, welcome To the Worship Review, the Christian podcast which carefully, critically, and hopefully charitably examines the texts of music that is sung in the church and among the people of the church. Uh, My name's Tyler. I am a linguist and I'm joined by
2: Colin. I'm Colin. I'm a history professor.
1: And we are on the fourth official series of the Worship Review. And on this fourth series, we are returning to our roots in a way. We are returning to songs that are popular on the CCLI, that is the Christian Copyright Licensing International database, where they record uh, when and how often, how frequently songs are sung in the church. So we can definitely say the songs we're looking at now are popular in the United States. They may not be popular in your church but they are popular in the united states. In many states. cases
2: we actually hope that they're not popular in the. <laughs> we have
1: we have encountered songs which we would not want in to fact, see.
2: I always I wonder like I don't I wonder what our listenership is because um, I wonder how many of them only learn about these songs from our podcast. Like they're not actually most of the listeners. I wonder whether they're actually singing a lot of these songs. I just don't know cuz we there are some songs that there's some kinds of songs that we criticize so heavily. I just don't yeah. know. You wouldn't How many enjoy listener, listening. To yeah, this for very I don't long. know that you would get you'd get tired of this podcast pretty quick, right?
1: Yes, unless you had such a great tolerance for yes. pain, or were some kind of glutton for punishment, punishment or criticism. Yeah. that you could endure that. I have to think. Most that's true of all of our listeners. Gluttons for punishment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're still talking, aren't we? Yeah. And they're still listening. Um, <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the song. I yet. <laughs> think most of our listeners are probably crotchety old men like me and like you, yeah.
2: Colin. Well, we're old men at heart. I'm, I'm kind of an old man, man. You're not quite there yet. No,
1: I am balding though. Are you serious? I'm. My hairline is receding. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations.
2: Congratulations. It adds dignity.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we are looking at a song called "Graves into Gardens." Great. You heard that right, listeners. Graves. Into Gardens by Elevation Worship featuring Brandon Lake. Now, specifically, we can say, this song was written by a, a team, so Brandon Lake, but also Chris Brown, not that Chris Brown, but the Chris Brown from <laughs> Elevation <laughs> Worship, Stephen Furtick, Colin's uh. favorite celebrity mega-pastor, and Tiffany Hudson, all of Elevation Worship, except Brandon Lee is a uh, signed member of the Bethel Music Collective. Is and- he
2: the guy with the, the kind of haircut, the kind of the... One sided, that's Chris trip. Brown. Oh, okay,
1: that's that's Chris Brown. This okay. the um Brandon Lake has very long hair.
2: Oh, okay, that he's he, that
1: he either braids it or lets yeah, it yeah, kind I of flow like
2: a big yeah, mane. Yeah. Um, no, I was instantly envious of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, beautiful hair, absolutely gorgeous long hair. And we have words from the one of the authors, Chris Brown, oh, about this song. Good. So I'd I was like looking
2: for that. I'm glad you found something <laughs> to try like and that. figure out yeah. what it was about, or just to <laughs> uh,
1: just to give it context. So if I if I may, Colin, I'll read this, and then I'd like to hear from you a summary of the song. Sure. Many of our songs come from sermons that Pastor Stephen preaches, referring to Stephen, Fertig. of course. Pastor Stephen.
2: We always follow the leader, as the coloring book says.
1: <laughs> was was it the? The Dear leader, or was it just a no? It
2: wasn't Dear Leader, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that, uh, yeah, that North Korean, yeah.
1: The title track, I'm returning to Chris Brown's words now. The title track, in particular,
2: and that's Graves Graves into
1: Gardens, Gardens, launched from a message of his called The Mystery of Potential. But he says that this song comes from Second Kings 13, where Elisha's corpse performs a resurrection. Uh, when a body is thrown into his grave. And then the conclusion was, Elisha still had a resurrection miracle left in his bones, and God is still in the business of bringing dead things back to life. If we'll trust God, even with the seemingly dead areas of our lives, if we'll believe in the power of God, if we'll declare resurrection power over everything we sow, S-O-W, nothing will be wasted. Nothing is over. God can turn any situation around. Okay. Does that
3: give you?
2: Yeah, I actually didn't even know that that was what was being referred to at all in the song. I had no idea. Very obscure story. uh, That is truly the mystery of potential, isn't it? It Um,
1: Actually, Colin, let me me be honest. I I realized I sounded kind of like a jerk there, and I didn't mean to. So I'm just going to read the words— and and try and read them very neutrally. And when we edit this, it can make me sound like less of a jerk. Maybe not no jerk. Many of our songs come from sermons that Pastor Stephen preaches. The title track in particular launched from a message of his called The Mystery of Potential. He was in that second king's passage, which details that after the prophet Elisha died, his story didn't end there. Two Israelites were near his gravesite about to bury another man. When they saw a band of enemy raiders coming... They threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. As soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the men came to life. Excuse me. As soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. 2 Kings 13:20-21. Elisha still had a resurrection miracle left in his bones, and God is still in the business of bringing dead things back to life. If we'll trust God, even with the seemingly dead areas of our lives, if we'll believe in the power of God, if we'll declare resurrection power over everything we sow, nothing will be wasted. Nothing is over. God can turn any situation around. And those are the words of Chris Brown speaking to the Christian
2: Post. Do you, do you have more comments about this reference, or can I say some things about it now?
1: I, well, I went back and I read 2 Kings 13 to yeah. kind of make sense of it. Is yeah. that what you'd like to do? Yeah,
2: I mean, let's just, talk, let's just start right off the get-go with that. Because I was, uh, this is the first time I've heard of uh, not only this reference to that in the song. I actually had not heard that. I didn't know that that was in the Bible. It's a miracle. Because it is only one verse. Yeah. So 20 says, verse 20 of Second Kings 13 says, Elisha died, they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And then verse 21 says this, this is it and as a man was being buried behold a marauding band was seen and the man was thrown into the grave of elisha and as soon as the man touched the bones of elisha he revived and stood on his feet so that is that is it
1: and then the next chapters don't even tell us what happened to this guy yeah. who's resurrected
0: it's just kind of
2: like and by the way here's this crazy thing that happened uh and that's it and yeah. it's interesting that Furtick in of sermon has built an entire, really built a whole sermon off this verse, which is fine. People build sermons off single verses, but you'd think they build a sermon off something like Romans eight twenty eight or something, right? right? Rather than, here's this story about some guy that was thrown onto the bones of Elisha and then stood up again. And that this had, and he gives it all of this weight, hmm. right? Which just is not there in the text, right? He's, he's really making a lot of this simple thing. It reminds me, of when I was younger, and I don't know if you ever heard of the Prayer of Jabez. This was a book, an entire book, that was written on a single verse, First Chronicles chapter four, verse ten. Uh, Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, "Oh that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, so that it might not bring me pain." And God granted what he asked, and there was this whole book. That was written, and that was like, you just need to pray this prayer. Like, this is a mat, these are magic words. And if you just pray those things, enlarge my borders, bless me, y- your hand might be wi- with me, keep me from harm. Like, God always answers that prayer and just say that incantation
1: and invoke his power. Yeah. And will. it was like a
2: best selling book. It was like a whole thing in the late 90s. I think it was the late 90s or maybe the mid 90s. Like, this guy made millions of dollars off this book. And, um, it was one verse. Like he built this whole theology out of one verse, and it, this this story that you've just read reminds me of that. Sure. Like, I don't know what the this sound this passage in in Second uh, Kings sounds just like a descriptive passage. Like, it's not the scripture doesn't seem to be giving it any wider implications other than this happened. Right, right. It doesn't really tell us what we're to think of it, and so Fertig just. Adds all this stuff in there.
1: Yes. Now, to be fair to Furtick, and I can't believe I'm being fair to Furtick, but you, yeah, I guess it's good to be fair. Yeah. Um, we have Chris Brown's
2: okay, reiteration sure. Okay,
1: sure. of what Furtick, or as he's called here, Pastor Stephen said in his sermon, The Mystery of Potential. I did not have the... Uh, I, I chose not to listen to the entire sermon. Why not, Tyler? Which, That way I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> uh, but uh, it does seem, just judging by the title and then this secondhand description of what the sermon was like, um, we have potential, mysterious potential, the mystery of potential. And the resolution seems to be
3: there's a trust and a declaration that we can make in order to witness the power of God Hmm. in the world. And
1: it does sound somewhat similar to the kind of invocation that you have outlined from this prayer prayer of Jabez, Jabez. where if you say the right things or you do the right thing, if you declare resurrection power over everything you sow, so to speak, uh, you will witness what you want to witness.
2: Well, I'll be curious if we actually see this story from second Kings in the lyrics as we go through them. But first I should say a few summarizing thoughts about the song not, I mean, I don't think there's too much to say. The song is in, is basically about a greedy fame seeking person who just like is insatiable. Like they cannot get enough. And even they, as they like soak up the entire world, um, it's still not good enough for them. And then God just kind of comes along, and the person seems to almost like transfer this greed over to God and is just thrilled that God provides every desire. Um, I don't know whether the desire that they had or some new desires, doesn't really say. And then the song just kind of refrains with the idea that there's just nothing better than God. The person is just saying, yep, all this other stuff that I had consumed... It wasn't as good as God. God's actually better than all these things.
0: I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures of fame
1: are never enough. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, this is where it kind of comes from. you got a person that's looking for something, and uh, which already is interesting. So the, again, most songs identify a problem. Most worship songs identify a problem in the first verse. In this case, the person is searching and not being full with all of the things that they're finding. It's a slight difference than what you see in many songs. Many songs are like, if the problem is searching, It's like, I'm searching, but I just, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? It's like, it's not that they're searching and sort of consuming. It's that they're just searching and kind of not seeing what they want. Whereas this is, so this is where the kind of greed part comes in. This person is consuming because we have the second line says, it couldn't fill me. Mm -hmm. So the person, it's almost like eating, right? Or, you know, the person is actually consuming things. They're consuming praise. They're consuming treasures. So that's where the wealth and the greed comes from. So that and it's never enough, right? So the person is consuming, devouring, uh, taking praise, taking wealth, and even after consuming all of this stuff in the world. So this is a big amount of stuff and praise and everything else, adulation, whatever. Um, it's not enough for them. Mm-hmm. So, it's really describing a person who, in my view, is just uh,
1: insatiable. Yeah,
2: yeah. Which I, I actually think that's kind of a unique problem. I don't think we see that in a lot of these types of worship songs.
1: Yeah, yeah I actually thought it was almost ecclesiastical in a very literal mm. sense, like okay. all of ecclesiastics, yeah. where it's like the praise of man, the wealth that yeah. I could gain, all this work, labor, got Palaces,
2: orchards, silver, gold, right? Ecclesiastical. None of it satisfies two, right? me. Um, yeah that's a good point. It does have that Ecclesiastes type and
1: it sets the stage in this interesting way, as you've said, and I thought this verbiage of being filled was curious because it reminded me of this passage in Blaise Pascal's *Pensées*, which mean, it just means thoughts he's mid seventeenth century mathematician and philosopher for those who aren't familiar with him, and he describes something very curious. He describes an infinite abyss in the heart of every man, whether rich or poor, mm. that can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say only by God himself. Mm. And I thought-
2: So this is the origin of the, the, God-shaped, the God-shaped hole? The God-shaped
1: hole that we hear about in some kind of uh, yeah. um, evangelistic campaigns. I think this is where that idea comes from. Pascal was also famous for his wager- Oh, right. sure. of course. Some yeah, of yeah. our listeners may be familiar with this. Essentially, you have two binaries. They form a, a, a square, essentially. And so you can have um, God exists or God doesn't exist, and then I believe or I don't believe. And the wager hmm. is, look, if God does not exist and I believe or don't believe uh, eternally, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But if God does exist and I choose not to believe, right. then it has eternal consequences, which are okay. negative. So the wager is... Look, if – I'll choose to believe – I'm not saying this is necessarily a Christian way to think about this. It's, <laughs> sure. I think it's more of a thought experiment from yeah. him. But I'll choose to believe because if I win, then I win big. And yeah. if I lose, then I kind of lose a little bit, but yeah. not that much.
2: Yeah, it's actually a, kind of a rationally self-interest yes. justification for a belief in God broadly. Yes, Yes,
1: and I have seen it used in some evangelistic campaigns. I don't think that is a good idea. No. Um, because what we are – What we are concerned with is not helping people satisfy their own self interest more. Punch
2: their ticket to heaven, right? That's not really what it's about.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, uh, the Christian faith is not a casino where you win the jackpot. Yeah. I also thought of two passages from Matthew 6, uh, kind of flanking the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Truly, I tell you, they already have their full reward. So that's the empty praise of man. And then later on in that same chapter, do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So the praise of man, these treasures, they fade, they're transient, and they do not satisfy. Then you came along. (laughs) Sorry, when I say it like that, it sounds like a love song. Well, yeah.
2: uh, Yeah, I mean. (laughs) Then you
1: came along and put me back together and every desire is now satisfied here in your love.
2: I mean, to be honest with you, yes, at this point, there's been no mention of God. I mean, again, Mm -hmm. we're we're being charitable because based on the context, we know that he's talking about God. And certainly later on in the song, God is clearly identified. But at this point, if you had just heard this song on the radio, you didn't know it was a Christian radio station or something like that. Like, You could think this was about some human love, right? So, yeah, now the it's interesting because the problem now uh, is that the person wasn't together. It's not that the person was greedy, although that does come back in the latter half of this stanza. But it's like, for some reason, the person wasn't together either, which we didn't have any hint of that, that I could tell in the first verse, but God put them back together. Right. Do you have a comment on this?
1: Yeah, no, I it, it is funny because we didn't have this idea of being broken uh, in the first verse at all. Yeah. I, I'm inferring broken from being yeah, put yeah. back together. Right. Maybe we're torn asunder, to yeah. be specific. Uh, but yeah, this then pivots to something, a temporal pivot, if not a causal pivot. So it's ordering it in terms of time, not necessarily in terms of Um, logic
2: after God puts them back together the line goes every desire is now satisfied here in your love so we're back to the person having these desires and consuming and now all the desires that the person has is satisfied in God now um, we don't have a sense here as to that these are the same desires like because it sounds like the other desires were kind of sinful. I mean, the person was looking for adulation and wealth. and Not that wealth in and of itself is bad, but this first verse seems to treat it as though this person's um, perspective on wealth was warped and was, and was sort of greedy. Um, whereas now, there's no sense that that was wrong. It's just that their sinfulness has been sort of transferred to being satisfied in God's love. But, of course, God gives us new desires. God gives us um, a new heart. He gives us, he aligns us to his will. This is sort of a fundamental part of being sanctified, right, is learning to put off um, our own fleshly desires and conforming to the mind of Christ. And if that happens here, it's not stated. It's just kind of assumed
3: that that happens. I'm trying to walk a fine line here because I see the point that you're making.
0: um,
3: That this person has these desires, then there's this big life change that happens, and the desires don't seem
1: to change, they just seem to be filled. Mm Mm-hmm. They are these expectations
3: are now met. Um, and if these desires are things like the desire to be praised by men or something like that, then yeah, I think that is a huge problem at the same time um, for example
1: in that in that passage from Matthew that I mentioned, Jesus says, "Don't lay up treasures here." Instead, lay up treasures yeah, yeah, sure. in heaven. So there is it's not like ind- laying
2: up treasures is a bad thing. Exactly, you have, to, it's, you have to lay them up in the right place.
1: Yes, in and the right way. It's not that it's even bad to be self interested in that way. If you were purely self interested and were just like, "Well, I'm just going to optimize my outcome in this situation," sure. that'd be bad. But um, it's not bad to want to
3: um, hear from your father, "Well done, my good and faithful yeah, yeah, servant," sure. or something like that.
2: Yeah.
3: So.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. I'd like to see the song clarify a bit more that, like, the person's desires have even changed. I don't know.
1: And to be fair, this is also open to a kind of asceticism, a kind of Hmm. self-denial, where this person had these desires, and then now it's kind of nebulous, but every desire is
3: now satisfied here in your love. Does that mean that this person no longer um, feels... I I guess you could be reading into it, maybe I'm reading into it a bit much, but
1: um, every desire is now satisfied could mean you have met all my desires, therefore I can enjoy these things on earth in a kind of responsible, ethical way, acknowledging that um, these things are passing away.
3: Or this could be a kind of self-denial, which... Denies the significance of the physical reality as well. Oh,
2: I see but what you mean. Sure,
1: I'm. I'm not saying we can read all of yeah, that. Yeah, it's it, but
2: tough to say. There's just not enough there to really. I don't know. Help it. us, and it. So I'm not sure it's a real resolution to the problem. I guess.
1: Then we finally hit the chorus. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Lord, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you.
2: This reminded me of some of those... um a couple of songs that we did in the last series, right? Where, oh, no, yeah, yeah, right. That's <laughs> no, one else, no one else. No, no one else. You. No one else but you. There's no one, right? It just says the same thing kind of a few <laughs> different ways. And that's what this chorus is doing. It's like, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Yes. Oh, yes, I know that's true. Right? Yes. It's, it's I, I don't know what to say, but yes, that yeah. is correct. There is. is nothing better than God. Good statement. Okay to repeat it a few different ways. That's fine. <laughs> it is true that there is nothing better than God. And if the person is coming to that realization, you know, maybe something has truly changed.
1: Yeah. It's in some ways kind of like Psalm 136, where if there's these interspersed uh, bursts of right. his steadfast love endures forever. Mm-hmm. His steadfast love. But now there's images in between each of those to yeah. kind of give us, uh, put, clear conceptual boundaries around that idea of steadfast love. But um, I had this thought as well. I, I did think of Bononier, but I also had this thought that if there's nothing better than you, then conceptually we could say you are supreme. Yeah. You are. You're the best. You are the best. The Superlative. Um, in a very literal sense, you might say you are the supreme good. Hmm. But. This phrase in English, "nothing better than X," is not always referring to better in an ethical sense. Um, oh yeah, sure. If I say there's nothing better than the pizza at Uno's or something, yeah, like that. We're yeah, we're
2: often thinking of it as a self-satisfying sense. Sure, right? yeah. I I've tried all these pizzas, and you know,
1: there's nothing better than this one. Yeah. Um, so I, it could be that.
2: Yeah, that would be nice. You know, actually, that's, is meant, that's a no. I think in context of. The first verses, the verses that we've sung so far, I think that's a fair point because, again, it would be better if the song um, had pivoted away clearly and distinctly from the kind of sinful desires that are described earlier. And by not doing that, it kind of leaves those out there to be the framework through which we read the lens of there's nothing better than God. Right. It's like to satisfy us. So yes, exactly.
1: Whereas you could read that there's nothing better than you as the most literal reading, which is there is nothing that is more good than you to put it in um, improper English. Um, But it could also be, I've tried a bunch of things to satisfy my desire, and there's nothing better than you for doing that. In which case God is kind of means yeah. almost like a drug or something yeah, like that exactly. to an end of it's achieving an object, high or a higher satisfaction.
2: Yeah. So, and so, yeah. So less people think that we're being pedantic, right? Because of course, on its own, the statement that there's nothing better than God is not a controversial statement. But I guess what we're saying is in the context of the song, th- there's already been this kind of definition of what is motivating the person's desire and it's kind of self-interest and, and there's not really a pivot to it there's just a sense that god now is satisfying that desire but we need there really needs to be a sense that the desires have changed too in some respect I'm not-
1: I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend.
2: Yeah, I again, this is a true thing in the sense that God knows all of our sins. He, he knows them intimately, and yet in Christ, we are still friends of God. We're sons of God, right? Even uh, we're in God's household. So it would be nice to know what these... Flaws and weaknesses are. I mean, are again, are they the desires? If so, that needs to be made clear. Uh is it sin? I mean, again, kind of it's implied that what was happening in earlier verses is bad, and you know, so presumably this is sin, but it would it would be nice to have that a bit more fleshed out. But in essence,
3: it is true. Yeah. I thought it was curious that
1: he goes from being at least reflectively dissatisfied with the praise of man after pursuing the praise of man, being dissatisfied with it, to now not even fearing the condemnation of oh, sure. God. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it opens a... with, I'm not afraid yeah. to show you my weaknesses. Um, I'm not saying that's necessarily okay. a bad thing. No, that's
2: actually but... a meaningful reform, I think, right? So, yeah. So fear of man is... One of the ways that you deal with that, right, is recognizing that in Christ, right, we don't have to fear our weakness because we're found in him, in his righteousness. We our grace is applied to him. God does not cast us away. And so we are free to actually be um we are free to be the weak people that we are in a sense because we know that we can only be transformed by God's grace and God's sanctifying work. So um you know, again, it's not really saying something like that in these words, but I think there's—yeah, may, maybe there's a hint of that here.
1: And I think we have to
2: distinguish,
1: at least conceptually, f- between someone who does not fear God because he's a madman or a lunatic. Yeah, yeah. Like, a, a crazy man does not fear right. the judgment of God. Right. Or maybe just someone who doesn't believe in God yeah. um, does not fear that God will punish him for obvious right. reasons. Um We need to distinguish between that kind of case and the case of someone who um, does fear God in the sense of the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom sense, um, but is assured of his salvation in Christ. Yeah, that's good, yeah. And I I thought this, you still call me friend line was curious as well, because Jesus does call his Mm. disciples friends and and tells them that— Really, he's changing their titles in a sense. Yeah. No longer do I call you servants. Yeah. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends.
2: Yeah, that's right. The God of the mouth.
1: Verse four, because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. There's not a place. Your mercy and grace won't find me again. Who is the God of the mountain?
2: I can't help but think of Mount Sinai and obviously the encounter there, um, which is God the lawgiver. And we also have the God of the valley. I think just, I think actually something more simple than that is meant here. I think it's just a euphemism for... The high, t- the high moments in life and Peaks the lows. Yeah, that's just kind of
1: spiritual highs and lows.
2: Yeah, basic colloquialism of the mountains and the valley. I really think that's I, all that that means here.
1: If you were looking for more biblical language, you might say, "Well, Psalm twenty three describes uh, a oh, shepherd yeah, sure. in the valley." Yeah, the valley,
2: right, right. But, I mean, the, the, yeah, these are both biblical ideas. They aren't just drawn purely from culture. In fact, I suspect culture draws them from the Bible, and then now. Funnily enough, we have a Christian, Christian songwriters drawing them back from the culture, culture. right? Yeah. And of course, so they're, they're kind of devoid of the meanings that you just mentioned, like Mount Sinai, Psalm 23, et cetera, right? That's just kind of, they've just kind of been reduced to good times and bad times, right? Um, And then there's not a place where your mercy and grace won't find me again. And, you know, I like that. The idea here is that God is in charge, no matter what sort of situation that we are in in i find the word again strange so
0: Hmm.
2: um so because the god of the mountain is the god of the valley there's not a place that your mercy and grace won't find me again like it almost implies that a repeating so like they
1: once was lost and then got lost again
2: yeah right exactly
1: got lost again
2: sure again i don't know what I don't know what again, it like is again just tossed in here, or does it actually have some kind of theological weight what was it what yeah. was the intention of putting it in here? We don't know, but I know if I were singing this song, and certainly when I looked at the lyrics, I thought, well, that's weird, like, did the person was the person lost and then found and then lost again and mm-hmm. then found? like, you know, once we're found in God's mercy and grace, the Bible's clear, like we're always in them like. It is not the case that, um, you know, despite the fact that we are certainly prone to wander, um, God God has grabbed us and he doesn't let us go, right? In John uh, 15, you know, anyone that the Father, you know, the Father will not, order. how does it say? You know, if, if we're in God's hands, you know, nobody can snatch us away. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's. I'm glad that your mind went to a good place with the God of the Mountain, where you thought of Sinai. Because I, for whatever reason, the first place my mind went uh, was Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. Oh, and she's like, "Well, our fathers worshipped on this mountain," and he's like, "Woman, listen,"
2: and that's what <laughs> that's he what says. Tyler's <laughs> not. Tyler's not being. You know, that's the way Jesus. <laughs> that's what Jesus says.
1: Um. Anyway. I think in the same sense that God of the mountain and God of the valley are euphemisms, your mercy and grace won't find me again. With a double negation, there's not a place, won't find. Um, mm. I think this is also a euphemism. I think it could be sinning. I think it could be straying, backsliding, sure. losing faith, something like that. And this person, a curi- I mean, curiously and, and maybe laudably is assured that yeah. even in moments like that, um, they are being sought out by the good shepherd.
2: Yeah. And that's totally fine. Like, that's above board. So maybe, you know, maybe I read that too, partially. It was
1: curious that in the first half of this song, it's really the singer who's doing the pursuing. And in this verse, now all of a sudden it's your, so yes. God's, mercy and grace that are now seeking someone out. Yeah. I thought that was curious. Yep. And then uh, just to be very persnickety, and yes, now listeners, you can tell me that I'm being pedantic. Cause at the top of verse four, um is this just a filler word like and oh. well, yeah, or is there actually a causal relationship oh, between no. you still call me friend and cause the god of the
2: mountain this is linguist well, nonsense I don't know
1: if it's linguist am I being a midwit
2: <laughs> yeah you're not well, you know you're not being a midwit um, that would be like well, I don't know, maybe close to being a wizard it's a split infinitive yeah. or something yeah, like that right.
3: <laughs> well. In any event,
2: okay. bothered me. Maybe
3: Maybe I have a
2: to quote to quote one listener criticism. That's your problem. Yeah, fine. Not the song's problem.
1: Okay, I'm going to use
2: that again and again.
1: Okay, well then, because uh, let's turn to the bridge, Colin. <laughs> You turn mourning into dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can.
2: Yeah. You turn avocados into guacamole.
1: No, 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 no. All right. That's the Chipotle employees. All
2: right. So, um, yeah, a lot of scriptural references here, Isaiah 61, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Right? I don't know if you have the text around. I do. Okay.
1: To, um, well, this is about the, um,
2: the year of the Lord.
1: Exactly. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And then jumping down to verse 3, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified.
2: You know, it's interesting that, I mean, you hear the beauty for ashes idea in songs a lot. It's interesting that they never say beautiful headdress. Oh, yeah, <laughs> It doesn't right. seem to have that, uh, <laughs> doesn't have that sing-songy quality to it.
1: No, I would take a beautiful headdress, though. Sure. If, uh,
2: well, were... if you did, that'd be cultural appropriation.
1: Also, Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed Mm -hmm. my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness Mm -hmm. that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever.
2: Yep. And then more stuff in the next line as well.
1: Yeah, and these were, uh, I I found it a little bit more difficult to place these... You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can.
2: Yeah, I took this as a challenge. So, um, uh, graves into gardens, I legitimately don't know. I was totally unsure what that was referring to. Do you have a thought before we go to the other ones? Because I...
1: I mean, there's a lot of graves and there's a lot of gardens and I was trying to draw connections to them, but I ended up looking like the, uh, a uh, guy from it's always sunny in Philadelphia meme yeah. where he's in front of the board and there's all these little pieces of, uh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Charlie's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Charlie's like, uh, so, uh, now everyone Grace knows and, I watch that show.
1: The only, the only thing I can think of is, um, the same scene in Christian culture where, um, Jesus has been resurrected and he appears to marry. And so we oh, have yeah, a in tomb the garden sure. becoming
2: a kind yeah. of, uh, Okay, I, that seems reasonable to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That seems to make sense. Okay, bones into armies. My thought here was Ezekiel 37, right? The valley of the dry bones, and I didn't realize that that's in there that they become an army or that they're described as an army, but they are. Literal army, yeah, they're described as an army. So that's pretty cool.
1: I think most people emph- and and rightly so, I guess, they emphasize that there's been a mass resurrection. Yeah, yeah. And that's fine. But that essentially, I mean, not, I don't want to be trite, but, and in fact, maybe I won't, I will hold my tongue. But yes, an army has been resurrected.
2: Okay. And then this next one was hard too. You turn seas into highways. So here's where I went. Uh, I went to two different places. One is just Isaiah 47 verse 11, where God says, I will make all my mountains a road and my highways shall be raised up so i don't know if that's implying like being the highways being raised up out of the sea like the mountains are, are being let, leveled into a road and then the seas like highways are being raised up out of the sea that's one possibility mm-hmm. i mean another possibility is there are several like river crossings and sea crossings so like obviously the jordan river isn't a sea but you get the jordan river crossing in Joshua 3 and and then you get the Red Sea crossing, yeah. which I imagine may be what is being referenced here.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm I'm chuckling a little bit inside because you're you're doing what I did, okay. which was try and read this super literally yeah, and find something. Yeah. So I'm actually just going to read to you my thought process. Colin. Okay, <laughs> you're an ancient historian, so you can tell me uh, if I was right or wrong. I wrote season to highways. In the ancient Near East, what better highway is there other than the sea, ah, and maybe the roads of the Romans have leveled sure. and paved? Like if you yeah. need to get cargo oh, yeah. from, yeah, yeah. I don't know, Carthage it's,
2: somewhere, it's a fifth the price to transport something by a sea, and it's way quicker and way it's way easier.
1: Okay, so um, that's good to know. And then I and then I thought, well, are the seas maybe treacherous? Is that what's meant? They that?
2: are from a limited period of time. But, but yeah.
1: wouldn't the highways uh, also yes, have been quite treacherous, treacherous too? Yeah. So I was bandits
2: thinking, and brigands, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then I so then my thought process was, okay, um, maybe impassable things into passable things. Like we, we, okay. we're at an impasse yeah, and sure. then we make through and then I thought, okay, I'm an idiot. It's it's clearly a reference to Moses and or Joshua. <laughs> um I think that's what's going on. It's a little bit of a um a, a, a irreverent way to make this statement clear, maybe. You turn seas into highways, but
2: Maybe we're always so disappointed with these songs because <laughs> we're just the sort of people that like want there to be something there. And, you know, there just isn't. And you just have to be okay with that, I guess. I,
1: I still, if listeners, if you can figure out the Graves in the Gardens thing, you, yeah, you, let you us people know. are very smart and have written to us several times to correct us. And yeah. I'd love to know what that was. We'll read
2: it on the air, as it were. I don't know if anyone gets that reference anymore because no one listens to the radio. We'll do it live. We'll do it <laughs> We'll do it live. <laughs> you can't say any more. You can't quote any more of that clip, can you, Tyler? Oh, no, I
1: was a, I was a very young man when that came yeah. out.
2: That so. man is a Christian conservative and would never utter anything out of order.
3: We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live. F- it. Do it live. I can. will write it and we'll do it live. F- thing sucks.
2: Sure. Is he? Is he really a Christian? No, but he okay. was. He was obviously. Christian conservatives were listening to him in droves in the 2000s.
1: Colin, do you have any concluding remarks about this song?
2: Not many. Um, I didn't think there was any outright heresy in the song, which which is good. Always <laughs> when that happens, mm-hmm. it is a weak song. Uh, and I also would say, if it weren't for like the back half of the song, like the first half is very like boyfriendy, girlfriendy, and just kind of I don't know, not very good. It's just. Unclear again, the metaphor mixed metaphor happens just a little bit and then it goes back to the metaphor, so that's at least decent, you know, in terms of like literary devices. But it's it's a pretty pedestrian song that really doesn't have much going for it. I'm not very impressed, yeah. You
3: that's that's sort of where I am as well. It
1: does not do anything so reprehensible that I, I in fact selfishly, obviously not what we want, but selfishly, I would like there to be something so obvious that I could just kick it. Um,
2: No, I don't like the song for sure.
3: There's nothing to, there is nothing in it that is so terrible that I would dismiss it outright.
1: But again, it doesn't have that much to offer either. So Colin, what did you give this?
2: Um, I gave this two out of five sports ball cheers. And I will, no, no, no! Just the um, like I actually, cheers implies, cheers implies sound. They, I was thinking more of the motions. Like this video is full of people like acting like they're at a sports event, and one of my beloved pastors in the past, who I think very, very well of, um, he was charismatic, and he would say, you know, when you're worshiping, you need to, uh you need to, it needs to be like it's the most exciting thing that you've ever seen. Like when you're singing truths about God, like think about how you would act at a sporting event at the greatest moment, like your worship should be should be expressed in even greater terms. I question that because your exuberance in a sporting event is partly motivated by the fact that you're seeing something for the first time, like something is happening that, was not predictable, whereas like the truths of God, um, they are new in a sense every morning, but at the same time, wh- what you're really doing is going deeper, right? And so I think mature worship, Christian worship, um, is quite reflective. So, so what these people in this video are doing is like cheering like they're at a sports event, but you, if you look at them, you can kind of see that it's just kind of, I don't know, fake uh, is the right word? Like it's clearly a put on. Like somebody has really coached them to do this.
3: In watching the video, I actually thought that they had um,
1: makeup, costumes, yeah, and everything else. I even thought there like, may have been bouncers, like at late night talk shows. When yeah. you go to see them in person, everyone in the front ten rows or so was. In their 20s. Yes. And they were dressed similarly. Yes. All very cleanly dressed. And too. no
2: logos on the shirts or anything. It reminded me a lot of like a, the, the so called crowd at a Super Bowl halftime show where like they bring out these people and they're made to look like an organic crowd to watch the band, but really they're just part of the performance. Like they're, and sometimes they even do choreographed things, but like they'll just be up there dancing and, and, you know, raising their hands and stuff. Like they just think that it's the greatest thing ever but it's it's still in such a way that it does not look authentic right mm-hmm. clearly these are performers and in this song especially with the cinematography where it was just like boom 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 and it was just moving from thing to thing i just thought or from angle to angle you know i just thought like this is this is portraying and a heavily sanitized and idealized version of what these people imagine a worship experience to be like, and what they see as important in a worship experience. And it seems to just be exuberance and enthusiasm. Yeah.
1: I think they're a model yeah. for people watching. Right. I mean, what's what What else is the point of a music video um, other than, I mean, there, there are, well, I- excuse me, let me, let I me clarify I think the next this. song that
2: we'll do does it very tastefully, but anyway, go ahead. Let me
1: clarify this. Um, there are different purposes for music videos. If your purpose is to show worship, then I can see a marketing team wanting to model for viewers how they are supposed to feel when watching this and how Mm -hmm. they are supposed to imitate this behavior. Mm And uh, you can even, if you Google this song, I'm fairly certain if you Google this song, you will get chord charts and um, everything that you might want in order to, Perform this song, including slides and things like that, uh, because I think they actually want people to model this behavior in their own churches as much as possible. And, and they do,
3: yeah.
2: Right? If sure. you like, so like you were saying this one time, I can't remember if you said it on the podcast or not. So maybe I'm revealing something. Like these po- these worship fail videos. Yeah. One of the things that struck me about these worship fail videos, in addition to just the funny things that are happening at very serious times, before you
1: go on, a worship fail video is. A compiled, segmented set of videos into one long, yeah, uh, video
2: of people like uh, singing out a tune and things falling just on the things stage, not going and, the way yeah. you
1: want them to during yeah. worship, basically.
2: Yeah. Um, and anyway, what I find amazing about what I what I what stuck out to me in these compilation videos was how many of these churches that were probably you know between 100 and 700 people that just were mimicking like the stuff you see in Bethel Hillsong Elevation, like, like, like the style, the clothing, the lights, the stage, the, the makeup of the people on stage in various ways. Like it just was clearly imitating the stuff.
3: I want more
1: thought on the, I haven't even given my rating yet, but I have one more thought on the idea of us exuberantly cheering throughout all of eternity. I had at, Actually, at the summer camp where I was um, kind of brought back to faith in Christ in mm-hmm. high school after Jesus having camp. been baptized as a, as a six-year-old, um, the camp counselor told me that heaven would be like a big auditorium, ah. Jesus would be on the stage, mm-hmm. and we would all be clapping mm-hmm. eternally. And I thought something was wrong with me because he seemed so excited when he told me that. It, I, I'm not saying it was an act from him. He may yeah, have been yeah, totally yeah, sure.
2: sincere. Let's just assume all the best. I think a lot of these people, I think my pastor was 100% oh, yeah, sure. sincere in what he said. And he, you know, he did get very exuberant enthusiastic.
1: I thought when I heard this that that did not sound like paradise.
2: Yeah.
1: I thought, and I, I don't mean to be trite about this, but um, I don't think that that is what heaven is going to be like. I think we— are going to enter into certainly exuberant praise at times, but also peace,
3: rest. Um, we are going to yes experience His presence, but um. If we look at how communion with God is
1: portrayed in all of Scripture, so not just the the big passages from Revelation,
3: the p- people who commune with God experience a level of deep mm-hmm. inner peace. Mm-hmm. And I think that certainly leaves room for
1: celebration. Yeah. And I think it also leaves room for contemplation, meditation on the truths yeah. of God and things yeah. like that. So um, that's my armchair
2: theologian. And now we don't, we don't have your rating approach, yet. So just, what's your sorry. rating?
1: I came in actually quite positive, And after discussing it, I'm, I'm going to, lower it. I was going to give this a three, okay, but I think I'm going to lower it to two and it's two out of five waves through my sea because Mm. there's a moment about 80% of the way through the song where there's a false end to the song. And then the musicians, they start playing the chords again and everyone knows that it's going. And the guy says, um, I think God's still, given stuff up tonight or something like that. Uh, we need to kind of keep this going. I want nah, to hear right, you okay. turn more um turn more graves into gardens. And then Ooh, he says, yeah. as as actually just kind of a, an outcry, um, Lord, you're making waves through my sea. And I thought, we had this whole I worked so hard to try to figure <laughs> out seas and the highways. And then he's just going to say something like that on the fly. It very much frustrated me. But (laughs) uh, yeah, waves through my sea. Okay, Listeners, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Worship Review. We hope that we turned graves into gardens um, today with this episode. (laughs) And we hope that you'll continue to listen and join us next week. Take care. Tell your friends.